We are now in a second part of a two-part series I'm uh, titling Christian Togetherness, Christian Togetherness. Last time when we were in 1 Peter 1, 22 through chapter 2, verse 10, we talked about spiritual unity and how important it is to the Heavenly Father that he wants our, us, his children, to have togetherness with each other and not to have barriers between us and rifts or schisms or factions, but that we'd have a togetherness that's evident to each of us who are part of the body here, but also a togetherness that's evident to the observers of this body of believers that are all around us at our workplaces and in our community and uh, where we transact and, and so forth and so on. We pointed out some actual disputes in actual churches. Thankfully, none of these disputes are in Calvary Bible Church. But I just share a couple of the ridiculous things that Christians break togetherness over because of selfishness and wanting their own way. In one church, there was a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Another church argued and voted to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Another church had a 45-minute heated argument over the type of file cabinet to purchase, black or brown, two or three or four drawer. A big church had an argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle things down. These are crazy examples of believers who, for whatever carnal, fleshly, less-than-God-honoring motives, decided that Christian togetherness was something that was not necessary, certainly not a priority. One thing we can know, though, that the baby-fledging church of the book of Acts fussed over none of this stuff, none of this trivialities. Also, this morning we can know around the world where the church of Jesus Christ is persecuted simply for loving Jesus, persons tortured, killed, estranged permanently from their families, forbidden from earning a living at a job, beheaded, In those settings, our brothers and sisters in Christ under persecution desperately know how important togetherness is between brothers and sisters in Christ. They know how important the word of God is and prayer and times of fellowship and helping each other through times of grief and through times of happiness. And so when we come back to 1 Peter 1.22 through chapter 2, verse 10, we need to review the fact that last week we saw three reasons in the text that we should be together as Christians, that we should have Christian togetherness. You may recall the first point was we express the same love. 
The second point was we've experienced the same birth. We said last week that we have commonality, we have fellowship, we have cohesion based on second birth, not on first birth. If we're going to base our unity and togetherness as a church on our first births, we'd have different races, different socioeconomic brackets, different education. It won't be much of a basis for togetherness, but the second birth, ah, to be born of the Spirit. We can share and do share in that. The third thing we saw last week was that we enjoy the same nourishment, the Bible. We enjoy the same nourishment. Last Sunday, I guess I was in a hurry, and I didn't develop something that I would take a little time to develop on last sermon's point three, that we enjoy the same nourishment. I made the point that when we are in a family, an earthly family, and we might be feuding with our husband or with our wife before dinner, we may be having a huge disagreement with our brother or our sister before dinner. When we come to the dinner table, and I hope you do come to the dinner table with your whole families, it's a big mistake not to eat together. But when you can eat together and you do eat together, and you may have been squabbling before the the pot roast is put on the table, but when the pot roast is put on the table and after you thank God for it, it's supposed to be hard to fight at dinner because you're all at the same table. And the point that I wanted to make that I didn't maybe cover adequately is that when the Lord's table is served, when the communion table is set with the bread and the cup of juice to be memorials of Christ's sinless life and shed blood, equally it should be, God means for it to be hard for us to come to the communion table together as brothers and sisters, not agreeing, glaring across the sanctuary at the other person, refusing to talk after the service lets out. God means it to be hard for brothers and sisters in Christ who have the same nourishment of the Bible to come to the communion table at odds. In fact, if that's the case, we shouldn't take the elements until we make it right. And so we are to promote Christian togetherness because, again, reviewing, we express the same love, we have experienced the same birth, and we enjoy the same nourishment. Beth and I have been listening to a video series on brain health by Dr. Mark Hyman. I do not think necessarily that Dr. Hyman is a born-again Christian. He's a doctor who works with Alzheimer's and dementia and multiple sclerosis and depression and autism and other brain uh, dysfunctions, illnesses. This is what Dr. Mark Hyman, again, I don't know that he's a Christian, this is what he said. New research shows that social separation, social separation, is a larger cause of disease and death than poor nutrition, lack of exercise, or smoking. He says, I go on, every day we are discovering in the medical world that having community is a bigger driver of good health than diet, exercise, and lifestyle. That is amazing. And God in his grace has given us an eternal community, a community that's not just bounded and tied to time and space on earth, but a family that's eternal. 
In his grace, he's given us community that we would be together in that wonderful thing, that genius invention called the body and the bride of Christ, the church. And now we move from last week's three reasons to have Christian togetherness to three more reasons in the same Bible passage for today. Three more. The first one additional for today is we are stones in the same building. We are stones in the same building. Before I unpack that wonderful truth, let me read the whole passage with you so you get a flow of the context. 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 22 and reading through chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 10. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These are our verses for this morning, and out of them we've mind the truth last week. We express the same love. We have experienced the same birth. We enjoy the same nourishment, therefore have Christian togetherness. And now we go on to the fourth of the six reasons. We are stones in the same building. Let me just focus in on verses four through eight. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, there it is, you also as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for those of you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed." In verses four through eight, under the heading, we are stones in the same building, we see that there is a cornerstone to this building. And the cornerstone is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of the global church, which he is building every second in this church age. Every tick of the clock, Jesus Christ is building a stone building, a same building that every true Christian is a part of. And this cornerstone of the building is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the cornerstone, according to verse four, the following, as the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ is living. He's alive from the dead. He is rejected. The majority of people in Nassau reject the Bible's Christ. The majority of persons right now in the world reject the Bible's Christ. Oh, they may have reinvented Jesus to be the Jesus that they like, but when you listen and talk to them, what Christ do you believe in? They tell you some wacky things. This cornerstone of the building is the Lord Jesus Christ, and as the cornerstone, he is living, he is rejected, going on, he's choice in the sight of God, and he's precious in the sight of God. That's who our cornerstone is, Jesus. He's living. He's largely rejected. He's choice in the sight of his Father, and he's precious in the sight of his Father. Now let's move from this building, this common building we all are part of, from the cornerstone to the individual stones. The individual stones who are built together into this same building are stones that, according to verse 5, we too are living. We're alive in Christ. We're no longer dead in trespass and sin. Ephesians 2.1, we are alive in Christ. We have fellowship with God. We are regenerate. We are responsive to the Holy Spirit. We can understand the scriptures. We're living. But that's not all. According to verse 5, we as stones in the common building are built into a spiritual house. That's what verse 5 is teaching us. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are being built together with all the other believers around the world, into one spiritual house. And it has a purpose. It is a spiritual house for priests, all of us, to minister inside this house. How? By offering up spiritual sacrifices, the verse says, spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ. So step back from this. There's one building that God is faithfully building all around the world, a born-again, blood-bought children of God, Christians. And each of us is a stone 
laid upon other stones. All of the stones laid upon the the cornerstone who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we are all made to be priests to minister inside this stone house that God is building. Specifically, priests that are to offer up spiritual sacrifices like what? Worship, like we were a part of earlier in the service. But worship doesn't have to be corporate, does it? We can worship the Lord God Monday to Saturday, just us and him, right? Spiritual sacrifices like worship, spiritual sacrifices like money we voluntarily give to the offering plate for Jesus to use. Spiritual sacrifices like our time, to volunteer our time and ministry here at the church in some manner. Spiritual sacrifices like having an other's orientation, not putting ourselves first, not self-asserting, but putting our brother or sister in Christ ahead of us, preferring one another in love. Spiritual sacrifice, forbearance, having a gentle, controlled, the opposite of reactionary mood when we're crossed, to have forbearance toward a brother or a sister, and to be quick to forgive a brother or sister even if they haven't asked you for your forgiveness. Spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ. And so another reason for Christian togetherness is we are stones in the same building, but there is more. We are also priests in the same temple. We are priests in the same temple. Verse five again. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, watch it, for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then skipping down to verse nine. For you are a chosen race. Here it is. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. So that purpose, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So because we are priests in the same temple, we ought to have togetherness. You know, no Old Testament king of Israel served both as a king and a priest There were only two kings in the Old Testament who were so presumptuous and self-centered to try to do both roles. One was King Saul. When Samuel wasn't there, according to King Saul's timetable, King Saul took it into his own hands to offer a sacrifice, which wasn't a king's job, it was a priest's job. And you know what happened to King Saul. Right with that breach of obedience and presumption, God through Samuel said, your kingdom is going to end. And a man after God's own heart will replace you. The other Old Testament king who was presumptuous enough to try to combine his God-given role as king with a priest's role that he wasn't given by God was Uzziah. And God punished Uzziah for trying to do both roles by making him a leper. And so that is to say that in the Old Testament, there was no intention on God's heart for the king of Israel to be the priest of Israel. 
And so you could say that in the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood, but in the New Testament, God's people are a priesthood. There's a big difference. In the Old Testament, the Jews had a priesthood. In the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ is a priesthood. Amazing. So I guess we ought to live like a priest, huh? I mean, if you are a priest, you ought not you to live like a priest? If I'm a priest, ought not my lifestyle reflect a priest? Well, you say, okay, Pastor Rob, what does a priest live like? I'm not talking about a Roman Catholic priest. Or I have a lot of explaining to do with the lady in the front row. What does a priest live like? Well, priests directly approach God. They see every ministry act that they do as a service rendered to holy God. They offer themselves to God as a living sacrifice. Priests give God the offering of the praise of their lips. There was a little girl, I may have told you about her previously. She was in a church service. She was just a little girl, but she loved the Lord. And the time came for the offering. And that particular church didn't have an offering bag like we do. It had a plate. And as she watched the offering plate coming closer and closer to where she sat, when it got into her hands, she carried it out of, the, out of her pew to the aisle beside her pew. She set it down on the ground and she stood in the offering plate. She had it right. She had it right. She stood on the money because she wanted to give herself to Jesus. She had it right. That's how priests live. Going on with how priests live, uh, priests share their time and share their money with others who are in need. Priests lead others to saving faith in Jesus Christ because this is an acceptable offering to God. It says in Romans 15 that Paul called those that he would win to Christ through sharing the gospel as spiritual fruit. Priests live separate from the world system. The world system is that whole way of looking at life, the worldview in all spheres of human pursuit, business, the arts, education, finance, all of those areas of life. The world is a system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. And a priest lives in that system but is not infected by that system. A priest has a separation from the world, but not an isolation from the world. A priest has contact with that world system, but he or she does not allow themselves to be contaminated by that system. Contact without contamination. It's like boats. We live on a beautiful island with beautiful turquoise waters around us on every side. Many of us have had the experience of going for a boat ride here in NASA. What a nice experience it is. Uh, and so the problem is not when you're in a boat that the boat's in the water. 
The problem is when the water's in the boat. It's not a problem if believers live in that Christ-denying and slighting culture. We have to. But what becomes a problem is when we live in that Christ-denying and slighting culture and we let it get in the boat of our thinking. That's a problem. And so we ought to live like priests. The other thing I want to point out about priests is they're a team. Priests don't function alone. In the Old Testament, God said of the tribe of Levi that the men of the tribe of Levi in the whole tribe were to serve as priests. He didn't say from the tribe of Levi, pick one priest. He didn't say that. Because being a priest is not a solo sport. Being a priest is a team sport. Listen again to verse 5 from our passage. You, that is plural you, also as living stones, obviously that's plural, are built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, But you, again plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so to say it again, we are priests in the same temple, so we should have Christian togetherness. The sixth And the last point as a rationale, a reason, a motivation to have Christian togetherness is this. We are citizens of the same nation. We are citizens of the same nation. Listen to verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and watch it, a holy nation. God says to us who are redeemed, you are a holy nation. You're part of a holy nation a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So a reason for Christian togetherness, a reason that we should reject self-assertion, schisms, factions, arguments, unforgiveness, a reason we should not accept things that mitigate, work against Christian togetherness, but rather a reason we should pursue Christian togetherness is that we're citizens of the same nation. (laughs) If we all brought our passports to church today and you just were asked to wave your passport in the air and then tell us of what country is your passport, the majority probably would be Bahamians. There would be some Canadians. There would be plenty of Americans, maybe. There may be other countries in the Caribbean represented or other countries around the world. But God says that the Christian citizenship is not based or linked to the front of your passport pages. But if you can imagine if this were the case, if we all flipped our passports to the back pages and wrote or stamped heaven, citizen of heaven. It says that in Philippians 3.20, Paul in a dark, dank, dirty jail cell, writing to the brothers and sisters in Philippi, 
writes, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that our one citizenship, our common citizenship, our shared citizenship is heaven. Praise the Lord. And because we carry the same spiritual passport of heavenly citizenship, we get along. We cooperate. We display the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. Let's talk about that. One thing about being God's nation is that the verse says we all have the constant responsibility to show off the excellencies of God who is the king of our nation in heaven. What would it be like if there was a coworker where you work and you walked into an otherwise secured area of the business and you saw his hand in the till stealing money. And he is startled when you walk in and catch him. And he's got a wad of the company's money in his hand. And he says, you know what? I'll give you half if you don't say a word. Come on, man. I'll give you half if you don't say a word. That's when we proclaim the excellencies of the God who saved us out of the kingdom of darkness into the wonderful kingdom of his light. And we say, my Jesus never stole and I will not steal. Or what about you're with a friend. She says, pull in here. The numbers house. There's a parking space right in front of it. Just pull in. Why? I'm going to play the numbers. They're fun. Why don't you come inside? No, no, no. From Calvary Bible Church, we'll just go inside and we'll play the numbers. You know, I won $25 last week. Come on. It's fun. To proclaim the excellencies of the God who saved us. You say, my Jesus never gambled. And I'm not about to gamble. Or student, you go to school and you see a classmate of yours in your lunch area where you eat lunch, and you notice that he doesn't have any food. What about going over to that boy and saying, would you like half of my sandwich? Because Jesus shared, and so I'm going to share. And what would happen if you kept an eye on that little classmate of yours to see if he ever brings a lunch? And you see after a couple of days, he does not bring a lunch. What if you went home? Mommy, could you make an extra sandwich for Khalil? And could you do it every day? 
And if Khalil says, why are you doing this? There are plenty of people here who know I don't have food for lunch. Why are you caring? Ah, because my Jesus shared. And it's my delight to share. Here's your sandwich. We are to proclaim, reveal, show forth, tell out, advertise the excellencies of God. If you know enough to be saved, you know enough to tell someone else the gospel. You're going to wait to know everything you think you need to know about Jesus and the New Testament before you'll share your faith. You may never share your faith. But if you know enough truth how to be saved yourself, then you are equipped enough to share the gospel with someone who needs Christ. And if you don't have an answer to the question, just say so. I don't know. Appreciate you asking. I'll try to get you an answer by the next time I see you. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so I hope what we're seeing, that that proclamation of God's excellencies, because we're citizens of the same nation, should go to a lot of people. It should go to vendors and drivers. Drivers. People you drive around on the streets. Drivers. You all look so innocent. Drivers should see how you drive. You drive like someone who follows Jesus. There's, that's conviction, huh? Telling forth the excellencies of Christ to vendors you buy from, drivers you drive with, waiters that serve your tables at restaurants, customers in your business, coworkers where you work, clients, teachers where you go to school, classmates where you go to school, the police, your employer, your grandchildren, your children. Maybe it's your spouse who doesn't know Jesus as Savior yet. Christian togetherness gives people who look in from the outside onto Calvary Bible Church, the incredible body of Christ, our togetherness screams the reality of our faith, heralds, preaches, broadcasts the reality of the Savior. We need to build upon the Christian togetherness that we already have, and thank God we already have a lot of it. I'll go through some of that in a moment. But we need to not be content. We need to not be satisfied. We need to look ways personally to have greater togetherness with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church because each of us have greater togetherness with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Guess what? The whole church, if we all do this, will have greater togetherness. And so Christian togetherness is very dear to God and it's very necessary for the unconverted person to see. And this passage, 1 Peter 1, 22 to 210, gives us six reasons we should have Christian togetherness. Ready? We express the same love. We have experienced the same birth. We enjoy the same nourishment. We are stones in the same building. We are priests in the same temple. We are citizens of the same nation. You say, what did Jesus say about this? Jesus said something about this. 
before the church was born in Acts chapter two, in the upper room before the cross, Jesus had his followers, his uh, 11 followers with him. One had defected to betray him. He got his 11 men together in the upper room and he said this to them. And it rings true that he's saying it to us today. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The flip side of that truth is that if in sinful selfishness and laziness and pig-headedness to get our individual ways that we throw Christian togetherness out the window, then those who observe us in Nassau have good reason to say they're not for real. Maybe this Jesus really doesn't change anybody's life. Look at them. We don't want that. We want the love of God, which is the Greek word agape, to well up in our individual hearts and to love each other. Agape love discerns the greatest need in the one who is loved, and then it sacrifices to meet that need without cost consideration or repayment consideration. That's how Jesus loves us. He wants us to love each other that way. Let me just close to encourage the the body in some examples of Christian togetherness that I've thought of of this church. You ever notice how there's lots of lingering after the 8 a.m. or the 11 a.m. worship gatherings? There's chatting and laughing and planning. I love that. It's a sick church when they open the doors and everybody scurries away right away. Or our Christian togetherness, communication with a prayer partner one that will be a confidant for us, that we can share what's going on in our spiritual lives of the same gender as us if it's not our spouse. And you know that it won't go any further than what you share with them and they will pray for you and not talk about you. That's togetherness. Communicating to our missionaries with emails, if possible, phone calls. It's togetherness. The baking, I know that many of you have done, the delicious baking you've done for fundraisers for various CBC ministries, togetherness. Treating a family who is not a blood family to you as your family. Inviting a family who has no roots, no familial roots in Nassau, can't afford to go back to their families at Christmas to invite that family into your family at Christmas. Togetherness. I know of some Christians in our fellowship who quietly, anonymously, financially assist each other without the benevolence fund being involved. I know some of our Christian togetherness happens in quiet, behind-the-scenes, building into the lives of underprivileged neighborhood children, children who come from this neighborhood who have great potential and not a lot of advantages. 
I know persons in our church, without fanfare, without perhaps anybody knowing, are tutoring those children weekly. Togetherness. I know that properly, there's sometimes intentional hiring within the church family. Businesses in this uh, church family who need employees, and they look first within the church family to hire somebody. I love that. That's Christian togetherness. What I also love is when we have business to conduct, that we give some thought, who in the church family has that kind of a business? Who sells what I need to buy? Who provides a service that I need to have provided? And you give intentionally your business to the business that's owned by someone in our congregation. I love that. Christian togetherness. We have a lot of it. And I'm grateful. I love it when someone's baptized and they come out of the water and you all applaud. I love that. It's telling the person who obeyed Jesus in the waters of baptism that you are thrilled they obeyed Jesus. You're thrilled they trusted Christ. You're thrilled they're going to follow Jesus the rest of their lives. I love it when you applause. applaud. I love it. I don't know. I think I've conducted maybe 18 funerals since I've been your pastor. About that. Every time I phone someone if they'd be involved in a funeral, Brother Anthon, Brother Diana, Sister Dawn, uh, Angie, others. Every time I ask, would you minister to this family in this funeral without hesitation? They say yes, by all means. Or if they're otherwise busy, they can't say yes, but they say, I wish I could. I love that. I love that when... One of our brothers and sisters passes into glory that this church family pulls together in love, friends through love, providing a, a meal for the immediate family. The media, same with media. Many a time our media on their day off have come and done a funeral without any complaint. Instrumentalists, ushers, you could go on, pulling together to do the work of the Lord. Cards we send each other, emails we send each other, phone calls we make to each other. I love this kind of thing. And, and you know what God does too? The Lord, the head of the church, loves when we have togetherness as a family. And so keep it up. Grow in grace in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, and I will do the same. It's a beautiful thing when Christians have togetherness. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the genius of the church that you would bring us together as ones who know the same love and have shared in the same birth and have the same nourishment and uh, are stones in the same building priests in the same temple, citizens of the same nation. Thank you, Lord. Help us to live that way. Help us to walk 
in that way. Help us to show the world that desperately misses togetherness that it's to be found in Christ and his people. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.